Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everybody. I'm Bonnie, and I am an alcoholic. Thank you for coming. I had invited some of uh, my uh, non-AA friends. They politely declined, though. They said um, they didn't need to hear my story. They'd lived it. <laughs> so, and survived. So, um, I'm really glad to be here tonight. Thank you, Toby, for asking me. Um, there's a couple things I'd like to get straight right off the bat. When I first um, came into the program, one of the things I always heard... Uh, Two of the things I always heard speakers say. Um, one of them was that uh, uh, growing up they'd never fit in. Um, they always felt out of place, uncomfortable in their own skin. And um, that they uh, always remembered that first drink. Well, those are two things you won't hear out of this alcoholic. Um, I was uh, not necessarily always popular, but if I wasn't the most popular kid, I hung with the popular people. Um, I always had a host of friends. Um, I didn't have that problem, and I don't remember my first drink, which probably goes to show you that I was drinking alcoholically from the beginning. I do though, knew, do know that it was before I left Ohio, which was um, at 12. So, um, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. Um, it was um, the perfect place to grow up. Um, my daddy was um, one of the few white-collar uh businessmen in our community. Um, all my other uh, friends' daddies were railroad men, and it was um, a tight-knit community, except for that. You know, my parents, they didn't kind of socialize, you know, with them, the lawn parties and stuff, but us kids were always around. Um, my mother was an alcoholic. Um, I didn't know what that was then, <clears throat> because my mother did not go to AA, but um, my mother did have a higher power, and his name was James Pettigrew. I never saw my mother take a drink when my daddy was alive. And um, I found out later that that was just the way that was. And, uh, you know, he knew about her alcoholism probably from, you know, the beginning. Um, As I said, uh, I had a wonderful childhood until September 18th, 1974. That's the day my daddy died. I was 10 years old. And um, that's pretty much the day my whole world fell in. Um, I believe my mother was drunk at my father's funeral, and uh, life was very crazy for, I don't recall exactly what year it was, but life was very crazy for quite a few years after that. Um, I remember guys in and out of the house, or men, I guess, um, parties, uh, just, it was was very crazy. And um, I drove down here at 12 years old um, from Ohio most of the time because my mother was too drunk to drive. Um, As I said, I do not remember the year that my mother went to AA, but I believe that was my first aha moment, as we like to call it, my first God moment. I had come home from school, and my mother was passed out in bed, which I'd seen many times, and I couldn't wake her up. And for whatever reason that day... As I said, I'd seen it many times, so it was not a big deal. 
But for whatever reason that day, I got scared and I called 911. Well, when the paramedics came and saw that she was just drunk and not sick, they took me to uh, uh, foster care and they took my mother to, back then they had um, 28-day detox. And uh, my mother never picked up a drink after that day until the day she died um, in February of 88. I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous at that time. I don't recall a lot of it. I do recall going to Alateen. And I remember um, back at that time on your first year anniversary, you spoke at your home group because I remember going to my mother's home group meeting. don't remember what was said, but I know that I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous at that time. Um, don't recall big books around the house, anything like that. She just didn't drink anymore. You know, that was uh, me being taken away from her probably did it, you know. So um, life was pretty good. Um, but I came from this small town, and I hit what I consider the big town of St. Petersburg, Florida, and it was on. <coughs> it was on. Um, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and drugs are part of my story. Uh, back then, it was the black beauties and acid was a major big thing, and I mean, I've tried it all. Um, alcohol was my drug of choice from the very beginning. Um, I quit school at uh, the day of my 16th birthday, like all good children did back then, because I was too good for school, too cool for school. And uh, I did end up going back, and I ended up getting my GED, and I went to college. And um, I couldn't handle college, even back then. I remember the times going into class shaking so bad that I could not pay attention. I couldn't write. I did not uh, associate that with drinking. I don't recall what I associated it with, but I didn't associate it with drinking, and so I never finished college. Um, I was working also at that time, too, so I just went on to full-time working. I had my own house when I was 17 years old, and I worked, and I partied. When I told my story the first time and went back on my life, I realized that I lost my first job at 17 years old due to alcoholism. Back then, it was because... They didn't need me anyway, I didn't need them, whatever it was, but I lost my first job being an alcoholic at 17 years old. And I continued on for many more years after that. Um, I had my first DUI in 1989 with my 18-month-old daughter in the car with me. Um, for many years after that, I just I would wake up in the middle of the night on that one. But that did not stop me from drinking. The cops took me to jail. They said they were calling HRS. I asked if I could call my mother-in-law. They said, whoever gets here first. And they both walked in the door at the same time. They let my daughter go with my mother-in-law, and nobody would bail me out of jail. I remember crying and pleading, and nobody would bail me out of jail. Again, that did not stop me. Um, I used to drive my car, and I'd park it down at the park thinking, I don't know what I was thinking back then, you know, that somebody was going to be waiting for me to see if I was driving on a misdemeanor DUI. I don't know. But me and my daughter would walk up, make sure nobody was at the house, would go back and get the car, and I just continued on. Um, I got married for the first time, um, and I got pregnant with my son, and I went to my first detox when I was pregnant with my son. Um, I did pretty good with my daughter not drinking. Um, but my drinking had really escalated. Um, 
by the time I got married and got pregnant with my son. Um, I remember waking up there and, and my kids and my husband was there and I mean, I just begged them to let me out of there. So I never heard any message whatsoever at the town and country detox at that time. Um, they told my husband it was not a good idea to let me go and I talked him into it and he took me home. Um, my first husband left me when, uh, my son was two years old and my daughter was eight. I attributed that to just a lot of craziness and youngness in our marriage. The bottom line and the truth is because he was tired of having a drunk wife. I took care of my kids to the best of my ability and I took care of the house, but I was pretty much always drunk by that time and he walked out on me. Well, I called my daughter's father for him to come and get her and I called my son's grandmother because I didn't know what I was going to do, and I wanted to make sure the kids were not out on the street. My son is 18 years old, and my daughter is 24, and neither one of those children have lived with me since that time. For many, many years, it was because of everyone else. Couldn't get a job, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a car, didn't have any money. That's a bunch of bullshit. I chose drugs and alcohol over my children. It took me many years to be able to say that. And uh, that lasted, I started doing detoxes. That's I would go to detox on vacation. I'm very small as it is, and I... I wasn't an eater when I drank, so um, I would get physically bad in a pretty short period of time. So I'd call it detox. They all knew me by first name, and I'd ask if they had a bed, and I'd say, come on in, Bonnie. And I'd cruise on in for about five days, and I'd chair some meetings while I was in there and get some food down me and tell them I'll see you all next year, and off I'd go running again. It uh, It was crazy. And I did it for years. I don't know how my body sustained it, I, but I did it for years. Um, I got my second DUI in 2004, and that was pretty much um, the end of my employability. Um, I wrecked uh, the boss's truck. They bailed me out of jail, told me to come back to work the next day, which I did. That job probably lasted another three months. I'd been with them for the longest period of time that I can recall. I am 48 years old this year. I have never had a paid vacation at any job, and I've been working since I was 17, because I've never held a job for over a year due to my alcoholism. I usually quit before I got fired. Uh, they finally had to let me go, and um, that was the last good job that I held in my drinking career. Um, those people were very good to me. I'll get to them on the 10th step. Uh, that was, um, at that time, it wasn't painful to me at all, actually. You know, it was one of those whatevers. But I really, I really um, shit on some people who were very, very good to me and cared very much about me. Um, that didn't stop my drinking. Actually, 
got easier because now I was unemployable. <laughs> so I had more time to drink. And um, I consider Tampa my town. I've got a lot of friends. I never had to sleep outside because there was always a door I could knock on in a couch. And there was always a beer in somebody's refrigerator. And that went on uh, until the day that um, I found myself in the back of a Department of Corrections van on my way to Florida State Prison. And I remember sitting on the floor. I had to sit on the floor because there was no room otherwise for me. And I was scared to death, so I wasn't telling anybody to move. And I'm sitting on that floor trying to figure out how in the hell this happened to me. And let me tell you, alcohol did not enter my mind because it was somebody else's fault. Those were not my drugs. I just, they weren't my drugs. And I was still madder in hell that I didn't get to smoke any of it either. And I was going to prison for it. And that's all I could think about most of the time that I was there. Damn, I didn't even get to smoke any of that. I got busted for it. And um, it was crazy. I kept my nose clean in prison, though, and I went to AA in prison. And I really liked it. I really liked it. We couldn't wait for Wednesday nights. Um, and uh, this is actually this is where my big book came from, from Central Office. I sent for it when I was in prison, and Tim probably mailed it to me. Um, I got out of prison, and that did not cure me of drinking. Cured me of rock cocaine, but it didn't cure me of drinking. I didn't mess with that stuff no more. Uh, that was never my drug of choice. Uh, you know, I was one of those when I had my last $20 bill and everybody was giving it up to a dope man. I'd be going, nope, I got to have beer and cigarettes. And, and I didn't give it up. I had to have my alcohol. Um, I got married again. And I got married uh, to a man I met at the bar. Well, I'm still married to. God love him. A lot of y'all know Terry. And, uh, we were drinkers. We were drinkers. And, um, as I said, uh, don't recall, um, the AA did, still didn't come back into my head, but I was still doing detoxes. And, uh, I called up one morning and my husband come home from work. And I told him I was going to detox that night at midnight. I said, I just can't do this anymore. We'd only been married like two months. He just kind of looked at me. I says, I just can't do this anymore. And I went to detox, and I got out, and he went into detox. We had to do it separately because we had animals. <laughs> so I come home from detox that day, and that night I was by myself, and I was pacing my house, and... and it's the first time ever I didn't go straight to the bar when I walked out of detox. I was just pacing around. And I remember having my dirty socks in my hand. And I could not remember where I kept my own dirty clothes. That's, I mean, I was just, I was so out of it. And I called central office. And a wonderful lady named Mary Ross called me back. Who's my sponsor today. And that had to have been on a, on a Monday night. Because she told me she'd pick me up Tuesday night. And she brought me to the 164 group. That Tuesday night. And so I made it all that whole day Tuesday. I don't really recall that. I was still probably, you know, they have to give me a lot of drugs and detox <laughs> because I, I don't detox well at all. So um, I still walked sideways um, 
I'm sure there's a few of y'all who still remember that. So I still walked sideways for a while, but um, that's what I want to talk about now. I want to talk about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when I walked in here, um, I don't I don't remember the nudge from the judge from the last from the, my two DUIs. I really don't. I'm sure I had to attend AA meetings. I just I just don't recall having to do it or not hearing anything that was said. And I walked in here and I really liked what I saw and I liked the people that I met and the girls. I'll never forget the girls. The girls that just enveloped me in their arms and they told me they gave me their telephone numbers and they told me to call them and they told me just not not to drink and to call them if I felt like it. And I made it through those five days. I made it through those five days when my husband was gone. And uh, he was so cute, he got out of detox. And he came to a meeting here. And after that first meeting, he says he decided he was not an alcoholic. <laughs> I told him that was all right. Keep coming back. So I kept, that's what I did. I kept coming back to these rooms. And I didn't understand any of that. And I didn't know how those 12 steps were going to make me not want a beer because I wanted a beer 24 hours a day. And I almost can't, I, I was, I was unhappy here because you got to remember now I was just newly married. We had a house. I didn't have to work because I couldn't keep a job anyway. I was, had an endless supply of beer from the husband. But I was just sitting there that one day, and I just couldn't do it anymore. After 15 years, I just, I didn't know what I couldn't do anymore, to be honest with you, though. If you would have asked me that question at that time, I couldn't have answered that. I don't know what I can't do anymore, but I couldn't do that anymore. And then I came in here, and this is, this is, this is what I found I could do. And I've said in here before that I've always had a relationship with God. When you people talked about a relationship with God, I said, well, that's no problem with me. You know, I believe in God. I know what God is. I did not know what a personal relationship with God was. I never stopped before throughout my day. You know, I stop now if it's just to thank him for what a beautiful day. I mean, it'll hit me when I walk out my door in the morning. God, how beautiful. Thank you so much. You know? That never, that never occurred to me before. I was always, by the time my feet hit the floor, I was already probably two days down the road of what was going on in my life. I was never right there in the moment. And I'm still today, I'm not always in the moment. I have to grab myself back a lot. Um, but the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has, has taught me that, um, that I don't have to drink and I don't have to live like that anymore. That's the biggest thing. The, Obsession to drink was taken away from me. I can't even give you a date on that. I just recall coming home one day and checking my mail, and it just dawned on me. When was the last time I thought about having a beer? And I don't, I was, I don't really, I don't recall. Could have been the program two months, one month, six months. I don't recall. I just recall that day. And I thanked God for that. And so from then it's been really a design for living is what this program is. It's how you treat people and how you react to situations in life that, um, that, that's what this program has taught me. Um, my daughter, uh, as I said, is 24 years old now. Um, she still does not speak to me. Um, I could stand here and say I'm okay with that, but I'm not. And that's okay too. I don't have to be okay with everything today. Um, 
I know that it's in God's time and not mine, and I say that a lot. And uh, she knows where to find me. And unfortunately, um, the things that I have heard, the apple is not dropped far from the tree on that one, and it breaks my heart. And that's okay, too, for now, because um, I know that God will watch over her, and and things will work out the way that they should. Um, this program of recovery has given me my son. My son was 18 years old. He came to visit me. And I tried to do a night step with my son, who was certainly on my uh, four-step inventory. And my boy was not interested. Maybe later he will be when he gets older. I've told him if you have any questions, um, I'll be as honest as I can with you right now. He's just really happy to have his mom back and care less about amends or anything like that. He comes over couple times a week we have dinner we do high school projects together um, I could kick myself for all the years that I missed but I have them now and like doing a high school project with my kid on the floor is one of the most awesomest things that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has given me it is awesome and um, you know I try to live these um, I try to live the 12 steps Every day. I almost started crying um, when they were being read earlier. Um, the tenth step is, uh, that's so important to me because I have a personality where I'm very controlling. Y'all wouldn't know that, anything about that. <laughs> and, and I'm very forthcoming and I'm very bossy. And I like to be in control of things and I, I have to, I have to take a, a continuous tenth step with myself and remember that I'm not the one in control because that's actually what brought me here in the first place, you know, thinking I had, you know, uh, the world of Bonnie. Um, the first thing I ever read in this book was on page 417, and, and I'd like to close with that because it's it's my favorite part of the um Big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life as unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And I do want to say that because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm grateful to stand here tonight and say my name is Bonnie and I am an alcoholic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.